on relations in Genesis, relations in Genesis. And the idea has been to look at some of these very well-known people uh, in the Bible's first book and probably the Bible's most controversial book and to look at their relationships with one another. Look how they handled their relationship with God, how they handled their relationship with one another. And you will find, if you read the book of Genesis that way, and you're not you know, debating creation and evolution, and you're not stuck you know, in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, and you read the whole book, wow, folks, you are going to discover that the book of Genesis is... It's the good, the bad, and the ugly of people. I mean, they show you everything. And sometimes you read things in the book of Genesis, and it almost makes you blush. And some of it is embarrassing. You see things about the great figures of the Old Testament, and their embarrassing moments. Uh, last week, Pastor Ron was our guest, and he spoke on Noah. Well, even Noah had his embarrassing, shameful moment. Do you remember what it was? He was, he was over the top, inebriated, drunk is probably the word you would use. And his son found him, you know, unclothed and drunk. I mean, this is a shameful, shameful thing. And it's just right there, raw, right there in the story. So this is what you find when you read it. And uh, you can find so much, um, I think, comfort in studying these different people how they talked, how they walked with others, how they walked with God. So that's the idea that we're doing here. We have a couple of more weeks to go. And today we're going to talk about Abraham, or sometimes known as Abram before his name was changed to Abraham, if you know anything about the story. And I'm going to talk to you today about Abraham's imperfect faith. Now, he's often known as the, the figurehead, the symbol, the example of faith. I'm going to talk to you today about his imperfect faith. But before I get there, I'd like to know what you know about him. So go ahead and give me some feedback, as I like to do. And online, you can do this as well. And we'll post your comments if they come in. What do you know about Abraham? Go ahead and shout it out. Isaac's father. Good. Married to Sarai, who became later Sarah. Good. Who else was he the father of? Ishmael. Good. So you've got Isaac and Ishmael. Good. You've got his wife. Good. Who else is in that mix? Hagar. Second wife. Oh, boy. That's a problem. What else do you know about him? Louder? Lot's uncle. Okay, good. Yes. I heard something on the side. Yes, he's asked to sacrifice his son Isaac. God asks him to do that. Good. See, you're saving me time now. You've just sliced my sermon in little pieces. It's good. Anything else? All right, well, you did very, very well. Um, in the New Testament, we see that Abraham... Uh, is written about many times, and his, his faith in particular is cited for us many times in many places as being exemplary. So, uh, for example, Hebrews chapter 11 and uh, verse 8, uh, you see the, the, the great hall of faith chapter, 
as it's sometimes called, and all these different characters in the Old Testament are named there. And Abraham, by faith, when called to go, and where he was living, at first in the Ur of the Chaldees, and then over in Haran, and then he's called to the land of Canaan, and he's never been there before, doesn't know where he's going. His father had actually started the journey there and then stopped, and then God calls Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 to go. says that he will bless him, make him the father of nations, that anyone who blesses him will be blessed, that anyone who curses him will be cursed, and so on. This great promise that you'll read about there in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. This is cited in Hebrews chapter 11. It's an example. He obeyed and went even though he didn't know where he was going. Uh, you see in the book of Acts, this is mentioned uh, in a long, long message uh, there uh, by one of the, the early followers of Jesus in Acts chapter 7. So it was, a, it was known to people, and people were called to, to look at this as an example, and how this man obeyed and did what God said and left even though he didn't know where he was going. The uh, paintings you're going to see on the screen uh, are uh, from what they call the James Tiso collection, okay? Uh, 1836 to 1902, this guy traveled to the Middle East and he painted many of the biblical scenes in the Middle East by be reflecting and being there. And this is uh, over in the Jewish Museum in New York City right now, some of these paintings, all right? So he's known for that instance of leaving and obeying God you see, again, several times there is a moment in Abraham's life where God says to him, you are going to have so many children that you won't even be able to count them. And his wife, Sarai at the time, can't have children. They have no children. And yet God promises to him, look up at the stars if you can count the stars, that's how many children you are going to have. You are going to be the father of nations. And he believes it. He simply believes it. In Genesis chapter 15, verses 5 to 6, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He's made righteous by his faith. And this is picked up on in the New Testament extensively. The whole of Romans chapter 4 picks up on this and talks about Abraham's unswerving faith and that against all hope, in hope, he believed that he would become the father of nations and so on. Galatians, Paul picks this up uh, again. The author of Hebrews again in chapter 11 mentions it. Uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus, mentions it. It's a, it's a very much quoted passage in the New Testament because the man simply believed God. And so his faith was credited to him as righteousness. Not his works, but his faith. And his faith would, would then produce those works. And so he's again cited as this great, great example of faith there. Uh, another example, by faith, Abraham is mentioned before, when God tested him, again from Hebrews uh, 11, he offers his son Isaac 
as a sacrifice to God. Now, the, the, the story, the backdrop of this, you probably know a little bit. And uh, God had called Abraham uh, away from Ur of the Chaldees to the land of Canaan, said that he would inherit it, gives him this promise, tells him he's going to be the father of all of these, these children, so many that he can't count, the father of nations even. But he's got no children. And his wife, Sarai, says, well, we've got this maidservant that we picked up in Egypt, and we'll get into that in a moment. I can't have children, so why don't you go and be with her, and I can perhaps start a family through her. And so Abraham agrees to this, and you have the child who is born. His name is Ishmael. But then God will come to Abraham, he'll change his name, and he'll eventually go to Sarah as well, change her name from Sarai to Sarah, and he will say, Abraham, you're going to have children. And he says, well, why why can't the blessing come through Ishmael? And God says, well, I'm going to bless Ishmael. I'm going to bless his offspring too, but you're going to have a child, and you're going to have a child through Sarah. And I'm going to call that child. That child is to be named Isaac. And eventually, Sarah hears about this. She laughs. Abraham's first reaction is laughter as well. Hard to, hard to tell whether that laughter is in faith or in mocking. In my view, it's in faith and not mocking, but we'll get into this in a moment. But you see that after Isaac is born and Isaac grows, God tells Abraham, I want you to take Isaac and I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. And Abraham actually goes through with it. And he takes Isaac up to the altar and he tells the people there, he says, we're going up to the altar to worship and we're going to come back. And so he stretches out his son Isaac on the altar and he's about to kill him and to sacrifice him to God. God stops him and provides a ram over on the side. You can see in the painting, they've curiously got the Isaac stretched out there. It looks a little bit like Jesus, doesn't he, on the cross. And so these things are cited as examples of faith that we are to emulate, that we are to respect, that we are to to, uh, copy and live our lives that way. And that's very, very true. But I want to talk to you about Abraham's imperfect faith today. Because if you just look at those passages, you're going to think that this man is a superhero and that he's some sort of almost mythical superhero of faith. And that is anything but true. When you read the book of Genesis, you are going to see some things, especially in his personal relationships that show an imperfection in his faith. You say, well, how can that be? Seems like a contradiction. Hold on and you'll see. First example I want to give to you is from Genesis chapter 12, right from the beginning of when we meet Abraham. And he, you can read about him from Genesis 12 to Genesis 25 when he dies. So he's a big bulk there. In, uh, in Genesis, he's like 13 chapters. After they leave 
the place where they're living, and they head off to Canaan. On the way there, they run into a famine. And in Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 to 20, a decision is made by Abram to head down to Egypt and live there for a while because this famine is so severe. We're not told that he prayed about it. We're not told that God told him to do it. He just does it. He figures this is the best decision, and as he's about to enter Egypt, he and Sarai make a deal. And he says to his wife, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Now, if you study the ages there, uh, I forget her age at the time. I think it's 65. So you say, uh, how, uh, well, how's that work? And uh, ages in the book of Genesis are a conundrum unto themselves. But suffice to say, she was, uh, to put it in today's language, still turning heads at 65. So a Abram is worried about this. And he says, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, this is his wife. And then what are the Egyptians going to do? They're going to kill me, and they're going to let you live. So I want you to say that you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. Genesis chapter 12, verse 13. And the story goes on, and it's really, really disturbing what happens, because Abram comes into Egypt, and the Egyptians, right on cue, they see Sarai, they see that she's a beautiful woman, and Pharaoh's officials see her, and they bring her to Pharaoh, and she's taken into his palace. Uh, and he treats Abram very well for this, and Abram gets a whole bunch of livestock, all kinds, and he gets quite wealthy. He's already wealthy, but he gets even more wealthy. And there's his wife in Pharaoh's household. Now, people, scholars debate, you know, what was going on physically there. Folks, I don't think he brought her into his household to play checkers. So I think that, that there was obviously, I think fairly obviously, there was physical contact there. And they're, they're going along with this. And Sarai's going along with this. Abram's going along with this. I mean, you read it and it's very disturbing to our modern eye. We look at it and we go, oh, this is just... And we, we you know, look at the New Testament and see him as this great example of faith. And yet he's doing this. And she's going along with this. You say, oh, boy. Well, God isn't happy with this. And so God inflicts all these diseases on Pharaoh and on his household because of this thing that's going on. And Pharaoh, he's not a follower of Yahweh. He, he figures this out. And he says, what, what's going on here? What have you done to me? You didn't tell me that she was your wife. You didn't tell me that. Effectively, you lied to me. That's the way he sees it. Why did you say she is my sister? And so I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. He wants no part of this anymore. Here is your wife. You take her and you go. And Pharaoh gives orders. Uh, to Abram, about Abram and his men, and he sends them away with his wife and everything that they had. There's no commentary on this in the New Testament. It is not brought up as an example of faith at all. You can see why. And you see what he did. You see what she did. Now, 
Here's, here's, the, here's the, why it's not a contradiction with what the New Testament says about him. He still believes God for the promise, folks. He still believes that he's going to be the father of nations. He still believes that. That's why he's trying to protect himself. That's why he gets Sarai to do this thing, because he wants to protect himself, because he's going to be the father of nations. So it's not that his faith has wavered in that respect. It's that his faith has wavered in that he didn't think God could protect him. Why did he not believe God to protect him while he was in Egypt and to protect his wife? No mention of this, no reflection on this in the New Testament is not brought up anywhere else. It comes and it goes. It's not that he didn't have faith. He didn't have faith for that. But he's still believing that God's going to bless him, make him the father of nations, and this is why he wants to protect himself. Say, well, boy, this is a hard thing to read. Yeah, well, it... It gets even more strange. Second incident that you see in his life, which is more well-known, more, more talked about, and this, of course, is with the whole arrangement with Hagar. So Genesis chapter 16, you see that this Sarai, she says, look, we've got no kids. We've got this promise from God. There's no children. Years have passed. And she has, what, an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. They picked up Hagar, guess where? In Egypt. Again, no mention that Abram prayed about going to Egypt at all. Bad things happened there. Wow, a lot of problems. So he picks up Hagar. They pick up Hagar as part of this entourage in Egypt. And, and she says, uh, and so... Uh, uh, Sarai says to her husband, hmm, the Lord has kept me from having children. So you go and you sleep with my servant, my slave in that language. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Sort of a bizarre surrogate parenting situation happening there. Quite crude. And folks, remember, like you're looking at 4,000-year-old culture in the ancient Middle East. It's rough, all right? So we, we looked at this a little bit on Mother's Day, if you remember. We looked at Hagar and, and Sarai and their, the way that they, their relationships, two moms, right? And so she comes up with this idea, and what does Abram do? Okay. <laughs> he says, okay. He agrees with what Sarai said, and so... After Abraham had been, Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took the Egyptian slave Hagar, gave her the husband to be uh, his wife. So he's now officially, I suppose you could say, a polygamist. And she conceives. Do you think this is going to end well, folks? It doesn't end well. It, gets, it really turns into a big problem. Remember Adam and Eve. Remember Eve is eating the fruit and she offers it to Adam. And what does Adam say? Okay. <laughs> and he eats the fruit. And here you have Abram. You know, this is the offer that's, that his wife is making. Imagine his wife. I mean, this woman is, is something else. To me, she, she is incredible, this woman. And she comes up with this arrangement, is willing to make this kind of compromise in order to do this. And what does he do? Does he say, no, no, we're not going down this road. God will be faithful through you, my wife. No, he says, okay. <laughs> and they go ahead and go ahead and here you have Hagar becomes pregnant. And this, and this turns into big time conflict between Hagar and Sarai. 
right? So Hagar is kind of tormenting Sarai because she's pregnant and Sarai can't get pregnant and Sarai gets upset, kicks Hagar out of the house. I mean, it's, it's like domestic dysfunction, right? When you read this story, you just look at it and say, wow, you know, where's his faith? Where's it, where did his faith go? His unswerving hope against hope. Well, he still believes that God's going to make him the father of nations. But how he goes about this it is, it is off the mark. I mean, you, we just look at it and say, man, this is, this is not mentioned in the New Testament as an example of faith. It is mentioned. Uh, Paul mentions it in Galatians, and he talks about the child of the flesh and the child of the promise. Child of the flesh being Ishmael and the relationship with Hagar, and of the promise, Sarah and Isaac. And he goes further and he talks about how these women and their children represent two covenants and so on. But it's a big argument about flesh versus the spirit. The promise of God versus the works of the flesh, you see. And so this was a, a problem uh, for um, uh, Abram, for Sarai. There was nothing but difficulty that came about from this, uh, this trip to Egypt to put this back, okay, I lost it for a second. Uh, this trip to Egypt and every it turns into conflict in relationships for Abram, Abraham, Sarah, Sarai. Difficulty problems. Okay, can you give me the next slide? I'm losing my connection there. Sorry. <laughs> Good. Thank you. Okay, thank you. I'm going to need you to. to power the slides for me, okay? Uh, next example is in Genesis chapter 20, and this is after we see the promise fulfilled through Isaac in Genesis chapter 20, and it's an eerie, an eerie passage because it's like the same thing. It's deja vu all over again. Genesis chapter 20, this is after Sarah and Abraham are promised Isaac. They don't have him yet, but you see uh, when, when uh, Abraham is told that this is going to happen, he laughs. And the laughter, some say, well, is that a laughter of faith or not of faith? I would argue that it was a laughter of faith. I mean, he already had Ishmael. God could have done all of what he wanted to do through Ishmael. And God says, no, I'm going to do better than that. I'm going to give you a son through Sarah at her age. And at that time, she's about 90. And he laughs. I don't believe his laughter is a mocking laughter. I think it's a laughter of amazement. I think it's a laughter of joy. Later on, you will see that when, when Sarah finds out about this through these three mysterious visitors, she laughs too. And then she denies that she laughs, and they say, oh, no, you did laugh. We heard you laugh. It's a, it's a kind of a curious uh, uh, story there. But then you get into Genesis chapter 20 and verses 1 to 18, and again, like deja vu all over again. They know that God is going to do this in a year. She's going to conceive. She's going to have Isaac. And they end up uh, in, in a place called Gerar. And you see that Abraham goes in there for some time. He's there with Sarah. And guess what he asks Sarah to do? The same thing that he asked her to do in Genesis chapter 12 in Egypt. He says to her, same deal, right? You are my sister. 
And we have a king there, Abimelech, the king of Gerar. He sees Sarah's beauty. Even at the age of 90, we're told that she is still very beautiful. And he takes her just like the king of Egypt did in Genesis 12. But the story twists a little bit. It's a bit of a different outcome. Verse 3, God comes to this king in a dream one night. And says to this king, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. Strong, strong warning. She is a married woman. And so Abimelech had not touched her, we're told. Here we're told specifically. And uh, he says, are you going to destroy uh, an innocent nation? Uh, did Did he not say to me, she is my sister? I mean, I'm clean in this, and didn't she say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. So he says, I have integrity here. I didn't know of this, and now you're warning me. Are you going to destroy me? Are you going to destroy my kingdom? And God says to him again in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. Wow, that's very kind of God. This is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife. For he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. And, uh, but if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. So early the next morning, Abimelech, he gets his officials together, his entourage. He tells them what happened. They all are afraid, and they call to Abraham, and, they, and the king says, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And so Abimelech asks Abraham at the time, what was your reason for doing this? And Abraham says, well, I said to myself, surely there is no fear of God in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister The daughter of my father, though not through my mother, she became my wife. So we're we're now told this detail that she's actually his half-sister. Say, oh man, that's really, well, book of Genesis, you're trying to populate the world from scratch. You're going to have that happening, right? So now the detail comes out. So Abraham's saying, well, you know, it's technically true. What I told you, it's not really a lie, it's technically true. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me, my darling wife. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Again, we look at it through 21st century eyes and we just go, this is so, almost repulsive, right? But this is the way that they were They were operating, and Abimelech, he brings the sheep and cattle and all his livestock, gives them to Abraham, just like the king of Egypt, returns Sarah to her her proper husband, and Abimelech says, my land is before you, live wherever you like. And to Sarah, he says, I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver, that's a lot, uh, to cover the offense, almost like an atonement. To cover the offense against you before all who are with you, you are completely vindicated. And then you see the first time in the Bible where someone prays for someone and they're healed. 
Abraham prays to God. He heals Abimelech, his wife, his, his female servants, so that they could have children again. God had closed their womb, so to speak. And the Lord had kept all the women from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. It's the first time where you see someone pray for someone and they're healed in the Bible. But you see the mistake. It's the same mistake that he made, and he makes it again in Genesis 20. He did it in Genesis 12. You have him doing the whole arrangement with Hagar in Genesis 16. This is, by, this is far from a perfect faith, especially in the realm of his relationships with people. You want to know whose faith is praised in terms of relationships with people in this whole thing? It's his wife. If you turn to 1 Peter 3, if we could have the next slide, thank you, and you'll see she is actually cited as an example of faith, in particular in her relationship with her husband. Now, you have to get the context of the passage or you're going to get all messed up and, and think of it as an almost misogynistic passage. It isn't. What he's talking about is submission. And he says, Jesus submitted to the cross. He did not retaliate against what was happening to him through the cross. And he, yet he was innocent and did not retaliate. And you are to be an example and follow in his steps. In the same way, he talks about government and submission to government, even though it may be unjust at times. You know, first century Rome, not exactly a just government. So Peter is kind of teaching them on this and going through different kinds of relationships. And one of them is marriage. And he talks about uh, Sarah, and he, say, he uses the word submit, and he says, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Just stay with me for a second before you, you get upset because it ends well. But he says, submit yourself to your husband so that if you've got an unbelieving husband, that husband will be won over by your behavior, by your purity, by your reverence for God. By your beauty, not an outward beauty per se, but a beauty that is of the inner self. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. And then he cites who? Sarah is his example. Who, I mean, submitted to this guy and did what it went through all of this nonsense because she wanted to serve God again respect the context of it God is not telling you to do the same thing today you've got to respect the context it's again four, four or five thousand years old ancient Middle East but in their in their space this was cited as a great example and she is the one not her husband in terms of the relationship it's her who's exemplary, and Peter, if you're getting annoyed with what Peter is writing here, he concludes this by saying, husbands, in the same way, you better be considerate with your wives and you better respect your wives. That word is used. Respect your wives so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And some husbands, they say, well, the wife's supposed to respect me. Well, God says you're supposed to respect her too. 
And if you don't, maybe your prayers won't be answered with a yes. Wow, that's, a, <laughs> that's pretty strong from Peter who writes that. I take it he must have learned something from his own marriage. The Bible does say that Peter was indeed married. So what do we learn from this? And I know it's an angle that we don't often appreciate Abraham's relationships in terms of his faith. If we could have the next slide. There's about four things that I see. Number one, that that are practical for today. Okay, Increase your bandwidth of faith. I'll use that term. Bandwidth is not speed when you talk about an, an internet connection, which we all love. Bandwidth is not speed, it's, it's capacity. It's how wide is that, is that pipe of water that you're pushing that water through? Is it a little narrow, skinny pipe, or is it nice and wide? And the bandwidth of Abraham was very narrow. It was there, it was powerful, but it was narrow. He believes God, yes, absolutely. It's credited to him as righteousness, absolutely. He believes that God is going to bless him and make him the father of nations, absolutely. He holds without, without swerving to this, absolutely. He never, never doubts it. And again, I don't believe his laughter when he laughs there is a doubting laughter. I think it's a celebratory laughter. I don't believe he ever doubted that. But he most certainly did not believe that God was going to protect him against the king of Egypt, against the, the, uh, Abimelech, the king of Gerar. He does the same thing. He wants to protect his own skin. And he would probably reason to himself, of course I want to protect myself. God is going to fulfill this amazing promise in my life. I have to protect myself. I'm going to convince my wife to help me with this whole thing because God's going to fulfill his promise. Well, yes, but don't you think that God can protect you as well? Why is it that you did not believe God for that? It's because his bandwidth was there, but it's a narrow bandwidth. need to enlarge the pipe. So that the water can flow through has has a, a a bigger space. That's what bandwidth is. Same goes for us today. You're believing God for something. Maybe you feel God has promised you something, and that's a very personal and very individual thing. Good. Why not believe God for more? Why don't you open your pipe more? And believe God for more, that he can do more than just what you're believing him for. Why don't you believe that in the process, yes, God can protect me. Yes, he can. I'm going to believe God for that well, uh, as well. I want, I want to be on 5G faith, okay? Not 2G faith. I want that big bandwidth. I know some of you don't like 5G, okay? I've had three vaccines and COVID. I still don't have 5G running through my body. But I want 5G faith. I want to believe God for bigger and wider things and increase the bandwidth of my faith and not have it so narrow. And I think Abraham, while his faith was powerful and exemplary, it was limited. Number two, don't compromise integrity in relationships while you're practicing faith. Look at the lack of integrity. Both of them, even Sarai, went along with this. This is like they're compromising, and they know that they're compromising, but the motives are good, the intentions are good. That's not enough. Why 
compromise. Don't do that while you're believing God for something. Abraham uses Sarah effectively as a shield. He agrees to the Hagar solution to the problem of their infertility. He agrees to this. Why? It's a compromise. They're, they're crossing the line of integrity, and they did not need to do that. God certainly didn't tell them to do that. You don't see God. He's, he's like nowhere in that decision. They're doing that on their own. Why? They're compromising. And there's no need for you to compromise your integrity even while you're practicing your faith. Next slide. The last two things that I see. Don't be, uh, I'll say, self-deceived by the flesh. You see what Abraham did in the second incident where he tells his wife to say, you know, this is my brother. Uh, uh, he, he tries to justify it even. He says, well, it's technically true. And well, you know, we, we knew that God had given us this great promise. Why are you justifying this? It's like he has, he's been self-deceived and he thinks that he's on, on a high ground by this type of behavior. And he's not. He, he, effectively, he's kind of tricked himself. And God is very, very gracious to Abraham. It's amazing how much grace that God shows in the whole situation. He even blesses Ishmael. He blesses the household of Ishmael. The scholars will say that Isaac eventually becomes the nation of Israel and that Ishmael eventually comes the whole uh, Arab-Palestinian thing. And people will say that the conflict that we see that's been raging for millennia is actually rooted in the whole thing of Hagar and the whole decision and all of that. So you, you see long, long-standing consequences of that. But God still blesses Ishmael. He blesses Isaac, he blesses Ishmael, he blesses Abraham, he blesses Sarah, he, he blesses Hagar. Incredibly gracious. But we can't hide behind the fact that we can't skirt around it. Abraham had convinced himself that he's on high ground. And he wasn't. He did not need to do that. He did not need to compromise that integrity and be self-deceived by his own flesh. Number four, faith grows through failure. If you don't try to believe and try to behave like you believe and fail, your faith is not going to grow. You're going to grow through failure. Uh, I'll give you an example. I love the game of baseball. Unfortunately, it's over now, and the team that I was rooting for lost but, which is normal for me, but in any case, baseball is a wonderful study because it's a game of failure. It's the only professional sport where if you fail 70% of the time in the number one offensive category, you are a superstar. If you fail 70% of the time, you, oh, you only have to succeed 30% of the time and you're a superstar. Amazing. And you see the, you, as you watch the sport, you see the frustration and the failure of these people. And, you know, it's kind of embarrassing to watch these grown men and the things that come out of their mouths. But they fail and fail and fail and fail and fail. Over and over and over, it's a game of failure. And in life, when you're believing God for something and you fail and you make mistakes, that's how your faith grows. And that's how. Abraham got to that place 
where in Genesis chapter 22, he is able to, his faith is, as, as James would say, his faith is complete. It was made complete. And he takes his son Isaac, the son of the promise, and he's willing to do something that is against God's law. But because God said it, He's going, to, he's going to do it because his faith is, is that refined and that complete. How did it get that way? Through failure, through these mistakes that you see, Genesis 12, Genesis 16, Genesis 20, through failure. He grew and grew and grew and he got to that point. Now, that's a very specific, extreme example. I need to say God is not asking you to do the same thing that he asked Abraham to do. But he does want to grow your faith. And how is he going to grow your faith? By failure. By trying and failing and getting up and trying again and failing and getting up and making mistake after mistake and believing God and it didn't happen. And why didn't it happen? And frustration and, you, and you, you, discouragement. But what did Abraham do? Against all hope, he in hope believed. His hope was an unswerving hope. I mean, this guy had faith like a... Like a pit bull animal dog, you know. He grabbed onto the promise of God and he held onto that thing and he was not going to let go no matter what. Maybe he messed up in, in all these other areas, but he grabbed hold of that promise of God. And he gets to that place where even when God asks him to do the unthinkable, he does it without question. Incredible the journey that he takes. And this is why ultimately he's exemplified as the father of faith. There's a beautiful passage in Galatians that talks about how the gospel was announced to Abraham in advance. All nations will be blessed through you, Abraham. And Paul says that's the gospel. When someone comes to Christ by faith, not by all of their goodness and all of their righteousness, but they come to Christ by faith, they become like Abraham. Their faith is credited to them as righteousness. You see how human Abraham was, how flawed Abraham was. That's the same way that we are today. And we can make a decision to come to Christ by faith and begin a journey in a walk with God. And that opportunity is available for every single person today who's breathing. God offers that, that gift to us, that Jesus on the cross. You saw that picture of Isaac stretched out. Well, God offers his own son to us, innocent and holy. He puts his son on the cross for us as an atonement for our sin. And God offers us that gift of salvation. Our sin does not have to condemn us anymore to a lost eternity, to a broken walk with God. We can be forgiven of our sin because of what God has already done done for us. So I'm going to give you a chance to 
to respond to that today. Uh, Rose and Nick, if you're around, if you want to come up and play in the background, I'm going to give you a chance to respond because I think, I think maybe we need to find ourselves in this amazing but flawed man, Abraham. And somewhere along his journey of faith, your, your life is going to intersect with his. Somewhere along the way, you've made a bad decision even as you were trying to believe. Maybe you're, you're discouraged even as you try to walk with God. Maybe you need your bandwidth enlarged. Maybe you need to take the step of faith and come to Christ today. Father, I pray for each person who's in the room today and those who are watching uh, electronically and online. And Lord, um, we just want to to offer ourselves to you. Uh, maybe there are some in this room and they've been, been uh, serving you for a long, long time, many, many decades. And yet, Lord, uh, uh, we would relate to Abraham and relate to the stumbles along the way. And Lord, maybe we need our bandwidth enlarged today. and We need to believe you for wider and greater things and things that we couldn't even imagine or understand. And we need to enlarge that. Lord, maybe we're at, at the beginning and maybe we just need to say, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus, come into my life and forgive me for my sin. I want to have a walk, a, a, a relationship with God today. I understand that you died for my sin and my transgression. I receive your gift of salvation today. Uh, wherever we're at, Lord, we just want to submit ourselves to you. And, um, and, and once again, put you first in our lives. We are so thankful for your grace. Just... Just call out to God in your own way, even in, even in these closing moments. God, I'm so thankful for your grace. I'm so thankful for you give me what I do not deserve, God. And uh, Lord, you are so faithful uh, to me. Just call out to him in your own words, in your own way this morning. I really believe that there are people here and wow, you just, you just feel so discouraged and so down. And maybe you just see the humanity of this man and how God can pick you up today and how God can lift your spirit. Uh, so Lord, we, we're just so thankful and so grateful. I pray this Christmas season, uh, Lord, as we march into the holidays here, that in a, in a greater way, we would just remember the, the baby in the manger uh, who came to us, the most perfect expression of grace. May we, may we, uh, uh, worship you in a different way and in a new way uh, this Christmas season as we, as we come out in some ways of a, of a pandemic situation and can be together again. Lord, may we worship you in a, in a greater way this season. We pray today together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you today. Remember on your way out, if you want to uh, participate in the December 4th service in any way, baking or serving or anything, just go and visit the desk at the, at the, uh, in the foyer. Remember to pick up your kids in screen number 11. And if you want to buy a toy this week and bring it next week, we would be great, great blessing to do that. God bless you today. Have a great Sunday.